Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. You already saw him on the screen. Uh, Pastor Chris Reese is with us today. And uh, raise, raise your hand if you at least know of Pastor Chris. Look at that. See, you don't even need an introduction. Listen, uh, he and his wife Michelle, they relaunched Youngsville back in the spring. Everybody look up here real quick. It's your pastor. Look right here. R- right here. You can go one time, just once. And then come back quickly, okay? But you don't even need to go because I brought him here. Uh, so uh, I call him, this is my pet name for Pastor Chris. He is Mr. Incredible. He just is. He's just Mr. Incredible. Um, actually, his, his wife, Michelle, uh, we went to the same high school together. And uh, I had a lot of apologizing to do when I... <laughs> I didn't do anything directly to her back in, in high school, but just by being in the same building with me, I knew I needed to apologize for something. Uh, but anyway, um, he's with us today, and it's, it's such an honor to have him, uh, because Pastor Chris is, um, well, he's one of my best friends here. Uh, we, we call each other regularly, usually after uh, our Sunday services, and uh, ask, you know, just how the day went, and he's just a great friend. When it comes to just someone being likable, I don't know anyone more likable than Pastor Chris. He is so likable and so lovable, and he's a man of God. He is an incredible pastor. Uh, we know him because he played four seasons for the Saints, and he, he may share about some of that. Pastor Jacob says he's the only real saint at our church, uh, and that's, that's actually that's touche. <laughs> you know, that's true. But uh, I, I'm so proud, Pastor Chris, of you and Michelle and the work y'all are doing in Youngsville. Y'all can go once. Just once. But I'm so proud of you, and I want you to come up here and bring the word like only you can. So come on up here, Pastor Chris Reese. Everybody welcome him as he comes. Come on, give him a big midtown welcome. Pastor Chris Reese. Come on. Give him honor. Love you. Love you. Love you, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, can we give glory to God this morning? Who's excited to be in this house? Come on, make some noise. Praise God. Well, go ahead and take your seat this morning. Thank you, Dr. Scott, for that. What an honor it is to be here. I haven't been to Midtown in a long time. Been kind of busy. Have five kids, yeah. Ages 12 and under. I'll just say and under because I can't really remember their, na- their ages that well. <laughs> so it's from 12 to 4. The rest are in between. And so Michelle and I are busy. We launched Youngsville in the spring, and God's been doing amazing things. And... Uh, reaching people and building lives. And let me just say happy anniversary to all of you. Whether you got on the train just now or you've been since the beginning, thank you for your sacrifice. Many people don't know this, but you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And what you sit in here, you sit in this room with 500 people, you come to a service for an hour, but what you don't realize is there's 8,000 people at seven other, six other campuses that are worshiping God where God is moving in a mighty way. So don't ever think you're alone. I feel like I'm like the Apostle Paul, Dr. Scott, where I'm writing, you know, the brothers and sisters in Youngsville send you greetings, <laughs> right? And that's what it is. And, and Dr. Scott and Kelly have been amazing to Michelle and I, great friends. Um, there's a difference between coworkers and friends. And as, you, as a leader, sometimes leadership can be lonely. It can be lonely. So when you have a friend that you can cry with, rejoice with, make fun of, and go back and forth, I needed that. And... Dr. Scott has been that for me, and Kelly has been that for Michelle. And let me just brag on also Pastor David and Tara. You guys have amazing pastors here. Amazing pastors here. I am not just saying that. I promise you, I'm not just saying that. And I've worked with Pastor David before over the Lafayette campus, and there's not a more loving person, more generous person than Pastor David and Tara. And they are phenomenal. So you guys have amazing pastors. Can we give it up for your pastors here at Midtown? Come on. Awesome. Well, I moved here 10 years ago, 10 long years ago. I can't even believe that. And I moved from Georgia, and I came down here to South Louisiana. Now, you guys don't realize this because you're from here, most of you, but it's like moving to another country. (laughs) 
I love you, but you have some weird words and weird sayings. <laughs> when I got here and all of a sudden my kids started going to Mother's Day out, they used this phrase, save the toys. Come on, come on, where are my old cages at? Come on, save the toys. And I didn't know the toys needed rescuing. I had no idea, right? And making groceries. How do you make groceries? I don't know. And so there's this weird lingo here, and it feels like you're in this different culture, and you're in this different area, and it feels like a foreign country. How many of you have ever lived in a foreign country before for an extended period of time, right? A few of us. Well, I played four seasons with the Saints, but many people don't know. Right before, I played for a few months in NFL Europe, so I spent three, three and a half, four months over in Germany. And when you get over there, it's a different culture. It's a different world. They eat different things. They drink different things. They speak a different language. And everything over there was foreign to Michelle and I. And at times, most of the time in there, we felt like we didn't really fit in there at all. And the reason was, is because it wasn't our home. And so our perspective over there was different from those that were citizens of that country. We were essentially pilgrims just passing through. And because of that, because it wasn't our home, listen to this, we lived differently. When you know it's not your home, you live differently. I'm going to say that again. When you know it's not your home, you're going to live differently. We almost had a pilgrim's perspective. Now, when I say pilgrims, we're coming up to Thanksgiving. Some of you go, yum, right? That's not really the pilgrim I'm talking about. The pilgrim I'm talking about is really someone, a person who is out of their own country in a foreign land with no intention to put down roots, but is heading somewhere else towards a definite goal. Let me ask you a question. As we dive into God's word this morning, do you have a pilgrim's perspective living in this world where you know it's not your home? Because as we continue this series of Walk with Abraham, we're going to see this pilgrim's perspective in Abraham, in this next stage of his journey. And so the title of this morning's message is A Pilgrim's Perspective. A Pilgrim's Perspective. Now, we've been in this series of Walk with Abraham, and I know Dr. Scott's been doing an amazing job walking through everything. I mean, you guys realize I get the notes from him, okay? And it is awesome. And we're, we're coming up to Genesis 14 this morning but we see in Abraham's journey, he gets this promise. Quick recap. He gets this promise from God saying, go, leave your country. And so what happens is he goes, but he gets hung up in Haran. He ends up settling. Finally, he makes his way to the promised land, and it's wonderful and amazing. But then famine comes in. And when tragedy strikes, we can get fearful. And so what he did was he retreated and went over to Egypt. But what we see there is Abram wasn't just this wonderful man, righteous man, because he did everything right. Matter of fact, so many faults. He, as he went into Egypt, he said to his wife, you're too pretty, so let's tell them you're my sister instead, right? Men, do not do that. And he lied. And he was stuck in Egypt until God, because that's what you see, is God ends up pulling him out. Abram didn't give himself out of Egypt. God did. And so he ends up pulling himself, uh, getting himself out of there. And so he goes back in and then you see that God has blessed them and him and Lot end up separating. Then we come to Genesis 14, where all of a sudden it's a tale of two pilgrims, Abram and Lot, his nephew. And they're amongst the kingdoms and the nations of the world. And the biggest difference I want you to get before we jump into Genesis 14, before we go into it, is this. Listen to this. Lot, in this section, Lot is trying to find a nation, but Abraham is trying to become a nation. I'll say that again, because this is so big before we dive into the word. That Lot is trying to find a nation, so his perspective is different. But Abram is trying to become a nation, as God has called him to be. And because their perspectives are differently, watch this, they live differently. They live differently. And so we see and learn from Abraham what I've heard this, I want to introduce a, a phrase to you called a two-kingdom perspective. A two-kingdom perspective. You're going, Pastor Chris, what does that even mean? 
kingdom. We don't live in a kingdom. Of course we live in a kingdom. (laughs) Yes, we're not over with kingship and hierarchy and all those things, but you better believe in this day and age, we live in kingdoms. You can see it. And what I want to introduce to you is a two-kingdom perspective that says this. Here's a definition that says that I belong to another kingdom, but I just happen to live in this kingdom. I belong to another kingdom, but I just happen to live in this kingdom. What does that mean? It means I'm here in this kingdom on earth, but my identity, my source, my allegiance, my dependency lies on another kingdom to come. That is huge this morning especially as we enter this next season in our country in 2024, where you see the next presidential race. And all of a sudden, when we get into presidential races, the country divides right away. And we want to go Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever. Can I just tell you, it's the kingdom of God and only the kingdom of God. And the problem is if we don't stamp that down here and now, we're going to get to the point where we're reading all of this stuff and it's going to divide going to divide. There's already too much division going on. The church has to be united in that way. So our perspective has to be clear. The other perspective is just a one kingdom perspective, which means I'm solely dependent on this world and the things in this world. So when we get to Genesis 14, this is so big. We get to Genesis 14, we really see it opens up with the first seven verses talking about the lay of the land. And you can go and read it on your own, bunch of kings, bunch of kingdoms. Here's what's happening. I'm going to break it down for you in three minutes. Here's what the first seven verses say. Imagine the movie Braveheart. How many of you have seen Braveheart? Braveheart, come on. It's okay. You can raise your hand high in church. (laughs) Might be rated R, but it's okay, all right? What a great movie, right? If you want to get motivated, man, you just go watch that, right? They can take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom, right? (laughs) Just war paint, everything. And so imagine that back thousands of years ago. And so the writer of Genesis is opening up the lay of the land, the culture, and he starts with these kingdoms. And he begins talking about kings. And he talks about these kings. And he basically says there's one big king. And the one big king has, has some allies. But then he goes to the other kings and he conquers those kings and kingdoms. And he's like, you're gonna pay a tribute to me. And so for the past 12 years, 13 years, they, these kings paid a tribute to the one big king. Well, within these first seven verses, these other kings go, well, we're not paying anymore. They got fed up with it. We're not going to pay our tribute anymore, and we're going to battle against you. And so they're going to go, we're, we're not going to pay this. We're done paying you. And then the big king, he says, you better pay up or else I'm going to take it from you. It was a very dog-eat-dog world. It was, it was this, it was a kingdom against kingdom where if you didn't bow to the big kingdom, you were going to get stomped upon. Let me pause for a second. We're not that far off today. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Chris? We live in a very cancel culture where if you say anything that feels like it's remotely a line drawing in the sand, you get canceled by social media. You get stomped them on. So what do we end up doing? We just back down. We don't want to be canceled. And we're afraid because the big king wants to stomp all over everybody else. And it's all about who's the most powerful, who's the biggest kingdom. And if you don't do it, you're going to get stomped upon. We live in similar times with just different weapons. Just different weapons. And so we get to verse 8 in Genesis 14, where the kingdoms and the kingdoms say, it's enough, we're going to battle. And so we jump in in verse 8. Here we go this morning. Genesis 14, verse 8 says this. Then the king king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Ketileomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elasar. Now, if you're looking for baby names, I wouldn't recommend any of those names. <laughs> Just saying. It's a minor miracle that I made it through those names right there, okay? And Dr. Scott's going to go, that wasn't right, but that's okay. 
It says there are four kings against five. So the writer's laying out that they're coming up in battle. We're getting ready for this battle. The movie is just getting good. The popcorn we're eating is just getting right. And then all of a sudden, they're about to battle. Verse 10, now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits. Listen to this. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, we don't even know what happened. But we know the battle's pretty much over because the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, the one that were on the five, right? They end up fleeing. And so all of a sudden they're done. The battle is over. And some of the men fell into them and the tar pits and the rest fled to the hills. Verse 11. And the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their food. Then they went away. Verse 12. Here's where it gets really interesting this morning. Verse 12. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Oh, no, he didn't right? Oh, no, he didn't. Because the last we heard of Lot, if you remember, was that he was living near Sodom, not in Sodom. He was living near Sodom. He picked the land that was opposite of Abram, said, we're going to go over here. This looks good. He desired after the flesh for this land, and he goes, okay, I'm going to go over here. And it said that he pitched his tent near Sodom. Now we're finding out he's living in Sodom. Now, some of us want to jump all over him and go, that's what sin does. It pulls you in. And maybe, he's, maybe we're right. But more than likely, can I just propose something like this? Scripture doesn't tell us. But more than likely, Lot was enticed by the protection, the security of Sodom and being under the king of Sodom. Remember, Lot was trying to find a nation to belong to. So more than likely, he's saying, man, I'm out here by myself. I just want to find a nation. So he gets desperate to belong to something, to be a part of. So he attaches himself, his security, and his dependency to the king of Sodom. Let me say it this way. Lot's desperation bred dependency on a dysfunctional kingdom. Lot's desperation to belong bred dependency on a dysfunctional kingdom. We do the very same thing. Some of us have attached ourselves to the wrong kingdom, a dysfunctional kingdom. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Chris? Well, I mean this. Some of us have attached our well-being, and this is, I'm going to say this, okay, to the saints. (laughs) Some of you were really mad this past Thursday. Come on. Right? Some of you went, Friday was the worst day. You were boo-hooing. It ruined your day. Your wife didn't want to be around you, man. Women, you didn't want to be around him. And it ruined your day. Can you think about how attached we are to that kingdom? Or what about the kingdom of finances? How we're attached, our security is here. And oh no, if I don't see a certain number in the bank account, my, my, my level, I get anxious. What kingdom is controlling you? What dependency do you have? Because we see it right here that Lot's desperation led him to become dependent on that dysfunctional kingdom. And in that, he ended up getting taken anyway. But now enters Abram, and this is where it gets really good. Because this is not about Lot's journey. This is about Abram's journey. And here's Genesis 13. Here's where it gets really good. Now, verse 13, it almost turns to another almost page. It almost looks completely different. Now, a man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, and all of whom were allied with Abram. Abram comes into the picture for the first time in Genesis 14, but not until 13 verses into it. And he's identified as something he's never been identified as before. He's not just Abram, he's Abram the Hebrew. It's the first time in the Bible that we see the word Hebrew come out. Now, why is that? What does that significance mean? It means that he was living in such a way that was separate from the kingdoms of the world. That they, when they looked at him, they said, man, that guy is different. Are you living in such a way when they see you, they're going, man, she's living quite different than the world. They called him a Hebrew. Now, whether that was a name they gave him or he gave himself, 
Who knows? But he was becoming a nation, not trying to find one. So he saw things differently. He lived differently. He had a nation around him in a different way. Notice that Abram wasn't a king because he already had a king. It was God Almighty was his king. He didn't call himself a king. He never wanted to be a king. But he was Abram, the Hebrew. So he's living in this separate kingdom amongst all these other kingdoms with these crazy names, king of so-and-so, king of so-and-so, title, king of this, Ketaleomer, king of weird name. I don't know, right? There are the, all these other kings, uh, kingdoms around him. And the craziest part, listen to this, as he lives separately, Abraham doesn't have one child to his name. So think about this for a moment. You have a man who gets a promise to become a nation. He's living separately from this world. And he's living in such a way that is completely different, independent. He's not depending on anyone else but his kingdom and the kingdom that God said is going to have through him. Yet, he has zero kids, church. He has no lineage. He has no one to give his stuff to. He has nothing It is the craziest part about it is that he is not from any other group. He's not under any other group of people. Because here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. I'm gonna give you three things. Here's the first thing I want you to see about Abram that can help us is that Abram believed he belonged to a kingdom yet to come. Abram believed and lived in such a way that he believed that he belonged to a kingdom yet to come. He didn't belong to this world. And he knew that. Have you ever felt like you don't belong in this world? I I remember the NFL is such a great, I was so blessed to be able to play for four seasons with the Saints and we had a Super Bowl run. That was, it felt like forever ago. And what a glory it was. It was wonderful, it was magnificent. But in that, it's interesting because When you go into the NFL, these guys have money, power, fame. They have everything they could ever want. And we were so blessed because we went to these Thursday night team dinners where we would build chemistry together. And, and, um, you know, everybody had a certain night they had to pay for. And I was just sweating bullets when my night came up, right? (laughs) Because, like, uh, how am I going to pay for all these men that are ordering three steaks, all right? And this is not like you're going to go down the street and order a steak. This is like Ruth Chris steaks, it's like one person spending $500 on themselves, right? And so I'm sweating bullets. We got the defense there and everybody there. But after every Thursday dinner, the defense would, after the dinner, they would break apart and the guys would end up going out. And as they would go out, it was wonderful because it was a team bonding time. And they would ask me the same question each and every single week. Reese, you coming out with us? And I would answer it the same way each time. No, nah, I'm good. Y'all go ahead, have fun. Just be careful. And they would go, oh, there goes Reese going back to his wife. She wants him home. And I'd be like, yep. Now, I I, I wasn't better than them. I wasn't more righteous than them. Watch this. I just wanted to live differently than them. And because I saw a different kingdom that was yet to come, and I belonged to a different kingdom yet to come, I was going to choose to live differently. Because my perspective was different. I wasn't married to this world. I'm still not married to this world. And in that, I'm not going to let that entice me into coming out with them to belong. I don't belong. Listen to me, church. You don't belong in this world. We live differently. And that was the perspective that Abram had. He belonged to a kingdom yet to come. Does that sound familiar? Come on. It sounds familiar. Because, listen, do you believe that you belong to a kingdom yet to come? Watch this. Or are you just American? I'm American. I'm American. So my dependency is tied up in how America does. Or I'm defined by what I do or, or I'm, I'm just, I'm the oil field man. Or I'm the medical person. Watch this. Or I'm the mom. Maybe I'm identified and I'm tied up in all of the circumstances around you. Do you think your future is actually tied up in how the US of A really does? We are so blessed to live in this country, amen? 
It is, it is the greatest country on this earth. But if you actually think, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus in here, that your identity, that your dependency, that your well-being is tied up in how the country is doing, then we've lost sight of what the kingdom of God is all about. We've lost sight. This is how Abram saw And even the New Testament writers knew it too. Because in Hebrews 11, we see that they had this perspective of a kingdom yet to come. It wasn't just Abram. It was others that were even before him. Listen to this. Hebrews 11, verse 13 says, All these people died still believing that God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. Listen to this. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. I mean, obviously people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed to go for the country they came from, they would have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abram was this kind of pilgrim. That he knew of a kingdom yet to come. What kind of pilgrim are you? Are you a pilgrim who gets down in the dumps when this kingdom doesn't look like your kingdom? Let me help you once again. This isn't your kingdom. Let me describe it like this. It's like this. How many of you have in-laws? You're married. You have in-laws. Come on. You have to raise your hand, okay? <laughs> I didn't say if you like them. I just said, I just said if you have them, right? So imagine you going over to your in-law's house. And you're going over to your in-law's house and you're going, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. And you look over, you go, mm-mm, mm-mm, that, no, mm, no, ew. And you go, that couch needs to be moved. That doesn't look right. Oh, can we move this painting here? Move that picture. Hey, why is that lamp on? That's an ugly lamp, right? Look at the shade, right? Do you use this tablecloth? Because it doesn't look like you've washed it at all, right? I mean... Can imagine, imagine you going in and some of y'all are like, I actually do that, right? Watch this. It's not your home. Why are you so worried and pointing things out trying to make it your home when it's not meant ever to be your home? It's not your home. Abram lived in such a way that he knew this wasn't his home. He was called Abram the Hebrew. It's not his home. And Abram believed he belonged to a kingdom yet to come. Watch this. But he didn't push people away. He never pushed people away. The second thing I want you to see is this, is Abram believed he belonged to a kingdom that was independent but not isolated. Because we can hear that we can say it's not our home, so we're just going to go whatever, so you flip tables and you don't even care. Because when it's not yours, you treat it a different way than when it is yours. The owner of a car treats, washes the car differently than the renter. And if you're a renter of a car, you probably don't even wash it. <laughs> you treat it differently. But Abram, we see here, was independent but not isolated. How do you know that, Pastor Chris? Because in the second part of verse 13, chapter 14, verse 13, it says, A man escaped, reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were what? Allied with Abram. Abram had allies that weren't of his kingdom. Listen to me. God often uses people who aren't in this, his kingdom to help those who are in his kingdom. That's the goodness of our God. Let me ask this question. Has anyone helped you that wasn't a follower of Jesus? Come on. Yes. However, many times we want to look for the Christian plumber or the Christian mechanic or the Christian police officer. Watch this. But think about it. If you are being robbed and you called 911, they're breaking down your door. You're going, um, yes, someone's robbing me, but, but please make it a Christian police officer. <laughs> I want them to know and follow Jesus. No, you wouldn't do that. Because at that point, you don't care what kingdom they belong to. You just want them to get this man out of your house. Because I know what you'd be saying. You'd be saying, thank you, Lord, for sending someone who was on the other kingdom to help someone in the kingdom. See, God often does that. 
And I want you to think about the difference between Abram and, and Lot in this instance. Abram is independent but has allies. Lot is dependent on the kingdom of Sodom but has no allies to help him. Because Abram is living in such a way that he is becoming a nation. It's not about isolation. It's about independence. Let me give it to you this way. Perspective from another kingdom doesn't isolate us from this one. We are called, if you're a believer in here, called to be salt and light of this world. It means that we're going to be in but not of. It means that we're going to see the world differently. Where they see hate, we're going to love. Where they see division, we're going to speak unity. Where they want to speak lies, we're going to speak truth. That is a part of who we are and what we do. It is the kingdom that we belong to. It's the kingdom that is here now. As Jesus spoke, the kingdom is here now, but yet to come. We live in the tension between the now and the not yet. And the glory of that is that we can see pieces of the kingdom of God here on earth. And it gives us breadcrumbs to keep going to be independent, but I'm not going to be a monk. I'm not going to be isolated. I'm not saying go live in a monastery where I'm going to isolate myself or a community where you shut everyone else off and you just go, we're going to live as Christians in here and no one else can get in. That's not what it's about because Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. And we need to be in such a way living for the kingdom of God that people say, what are you doing that's different than what I'm doing? Abram lived in such a way where they came to him, Abram the Hebrew, and they go, you're independent, but you still have friends of this world. You still have allies of this world. See, Abram was smart. Abram understood what was happening, and Abram knew that his kingdom was yet to come. And I believe, I believe if you're a believer in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, we should be the greatest for work, greatest workers in the workforce that ever people ever want. All bosses should say, I want to hire a believer, even if they're not a believer. Why? Because we don't work for this kingdom. And because of that, our motivation is different. Our love is different. The way we speak, the way we act, it's not in perfection, it's in direction. It's meaning I'm, I'm, I'm going to be imperfect, but I'm going to point to a perfect God. So when I fall, I'm going to fall on my face and go, but I got a perfect God. Because as Pastor Jacob said, when I can't lead by example, I'm going to lead by repentance. When I can't lead by example, parents, I'm going to lead by repentance. My kids see me repent a lot. <laughs> because I, I want to live in that kingdom, not in this kingdom. Parents, let me help you with this too. And I just felt the Holy Spirit give a tug. Some of you have been questioning your kids. You've been going, I want them here, but I don't want them there. I want them there, but I don't want them there. What can I give them? What shouldn't I give them? Let me say it this way. They don't know what kingdom they belong to, but you do. So live in such a way that it should feel like there's an abrasion to this kingdom in this culture. Well, what do you mean I can't have an iPad? Every, all my friends have phones. What do you mean I can't have a phone? I don't care what your friends do. Those are their parents. We're going to do it this way because of the kingdom of God. We're going to live in such a different way that we're not going to settle just for convenience or comfort. We're going to live for the kingdom. And the kingdom looks differently. And it does things differently in different timing, with different heart, with different love. We're not going to just isolate ourselves. The world's coming at them, whether you know it or not. It doesn't matter. But instead of, instead of protecting them, we're going to prepare them for the kingdom that they live in today. 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 And finally, number three. Let me give you this third thing I want you to see from Abraham's life. Is Abram believed he belonged to a kingdom greater than any other kingdom on the earth. This is my favorite one. How do we know this? Because of how Abe responds next. Here's how he responds. Verse 14, it says this. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he did nothing and just sat there. No, not at all, right? When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he just sat on the couch and said, I'll pray for him. <laughs> nope. 
When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 that were trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. And he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot, his possessions together with the women and the other people. Abram knew he belonged to the greatest kingdom of the earth. He knew he belonged to the greatest kingdom, not by numbers, not by might, not by strength, but by his spirit, he knew. He belonged to the greatest kingdom. And because he couldn't see it physically, he depended on God spiritually. Because he knew he only had 318 to go and fight, he relied solely on God. His dependence was solely on God. So what does Abraham do? He does two things. Here's what he does. Abram multiplies and he conquers. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? Well, remember, Abram's living like he's going to be a nation. Lot is trying to find a nation. So watch this. At the end of 13, we see that both of them have great wealth and they end up dividing. But what does Lot do? Lot takes his possessions and resources that God has given him and he goes and tries to seek comfort in another kingdom. I'm gonna go hide my stuff away under my mattress over here and I'm gonna do this. But what does Lot do? I mean, excuse me, what does Abram do? Abram is trying to become a nation. He takes his resources and he multiplies it. And he trains up men who are fighters that can fight and defend his kingdom. Because Abram said, I'm not going to be dependent on another kingdom. I need to be my own kingdom. So he takes his resources and he multiplies it. Listen to me. God is not going to take us, hold us accountable for what we don't have. He's going to hold us accountable for what we do do with what we do have. The question is, are you multiplying it for his kingdom or are we seeking comfort in another kingdom? Things aren't bad. Goods aren't bad. That's not what I'm saying. But if it's your security and your dependency, then you've, you've sought yourself into the wrong kingdom. It's the wrong kingdom. But Abram multiplies what he has He took the 318 men trained in his own household. He's acting like a nation. God is raising him up to be a nation, though he has no kids. He has zero kids, yet he has 318 men born in his household. I'm just going like, how does that even happen there? But it worked. And he trained them up to be fighters. They were shepherds at heart. They were farmers. Yet they went out and they did the miraculous because he doesn't just go, listen to this, he doesn't just go and, and, and multiply, he actually conquers. It's one thing to multiply, it's another thing to conquer. It's one thing to multiply what God has, it's another thing to conquer the ground that God has caused you to go and conquer in that way. And he conquers this, and he takes 318 men against four kings and kingdoms, four who just beat five. So watch this. So you can imagine, you're probably thinking thousands of people, probably, but how great is our God that he can defeat who he wants to defeat and conquer who he wants to conquer. But you didn't see Abram going, ah, we're just 318. Let's just like, ah, let's just like see if we'll, let's do a treaty. No, he goes in there with the authority that I'm a part of the greatest kingdom of this earth and nothing can stop us. What if we had that mentality going into our workplace? What if we had that mentality tomorrow on Monday when you walk in and the boss that you don't really like very much (laughs) is there and instead of letting him or her dictate your mood, you come and you conquer that mood. Well, notice what I said. Don't go, my pastor told me to go and conquer that person. No, I didn't, (laughs) okay? You conquer that mood. And you snuff it out with the, with the most love that you have in your heart. And you think, I wonder if they've had a bad week this week. I wonder if I can pray for them right now. And you begin to take ground for the kingdom of God where you are at. Because we live in a different kingdom. Our perspective is for a different king. And we don't look to the world, we look to God for what we have. 
because that's all Abram had. He had 318 men who when things got crazy, he said, I'm not going to look horizontally where I'm going to go, hey, I need your help, your help, your help, your help. No, he looked vertically and said, God, I got 318. Is that enough? Okay, great. Thank you. I'll go and do it. It's interesting. Years later, we see Gideon with 300 very much doing the same thing, conquering kingdoms. God's like, I don't need a lot of people. I just need willing people. I don't need a lot of people. I just need people who are in the kingdom and for the kingdom and don't want to attach themselves to the dependency of this kingdom because it's not their home. And because Abram looked to the greater kingdom and believed he had the greatest kingdom, it was God who gave him victory. Because the rest of Genesis 14, you read, it's Abram's victory coming back home. And as he comes back home, he gets welcomed by another king. Well, really two kings. One is the king of Sodom who, who Abram brought back all his stuff. And the other one is king called Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Sounds like Jerusalem. <laughs> and you see, the biggest part of this is that when he comes back, he's blessed by Melchizedek, king of Salem. He's blessed by him. And what I find it interesting, and keys can come this morning as we close. What I find it interesting is that when you live for the greatest kingdom while passing through this earthly kingdom, God will usually send someone to help you keep you focused on the kingdom to come. Because as Abram came back, now Kizedek said, bless you, Abram, because God gave you this victory. I feel like that was a little humble check. For Abram, he needed it. He took 318 and just conquered, right? He just beat the number one team in the nation. Come on, right? They stormed the field. It was awesome. They carried him off. The goalposts came down, if you're old enough to remember that, right? They chopped it up. Everybody got a piece. It was wonderful. They came back. And this king said, I, I just want you to remember, blessed are you, not because you're good. Blessed are you because God is good to you. God is good to you. God is good to you. That is who he is. God is good to you. He gives you the victory every time. Now you might be going, but that's because I'm not Abram. You're right. Neither am I. I don't live thousand years ago. I, I agree. So how do I live? Like he lived. How do I live from a pilgrim's perspective, Pastor Chris? How do I do that right where I'm at? As I close, I want to give you three quick things. It's just remember, refocus, respond. Number one, remember. Remember you were rescued. You know, really, the, the whole point of Genesis 14 is we see Lot gets rescued. But really what this rescue is is a foreshadowing of the one to come. And you're like, what are they foreshadowing? The foreshadowing something that would happen thousands of years later where God was pointing forward to what would happen when humanity would slip into sin and we would get too close to it. We would get pulled in. We would get taken up by other kingdoms and we would be taken and all of our stuff and we would be enslaved within that kingdom and God sent someone, his name is Jesus, to redeem us, to pull us out of that kingdom to take us to another kingdom. Lot was rescued. Many times we go, I want to be like Abram, but we're more like Lot than we are Abram. You've been rescued in here. His name is Jesus. You are in a kingdom of sin, addiction. You are in a kingdom of this world. Don't go back to that kingdom. It didn't rescue you. Your money didn't rescue you. Your wife, your spouse didn't rescue you. Your kids didn't rescue you. Listen to me. The church didn't rescue you. Jesus rescued you. I love the church. It's the bridegroom of Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, this building will pass away. Jesus and his word will never pass away. 
Jesus rescued me when I was 17 years old. Driving home in my car and the Holy Spirit comes in and says, just give it up. I was relying so much on this kingdom, keeping my identity up by how I could perform, what I could do, could I be good enough, make good enough grades, be a good enough person. And God rescued me when I didn't even know I needed rescuing. And he pulled me into a kingdom that is better, greater, more wonderful than any other kingdom I've been a part of. Any other kingdom I've been a part of. Remember, you were rescued. Number two, refocus on the greater kingdom. Listen to me. Not the loudest kingdom, not the pushiest kingdom, or the seemingly conservative kingdom, but the greater kingdom who is overseen by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Greater, greater than any other kingdom of this world. That's why we sang that song, you can have all this world. I don't even want it because I belong to the greater kingdom. And he's coming back. And he's going to make this a great kingdom again. A new and wonderful kingdom. But until that time, let's refocus our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our bodies on the greater kingdom that is now and yet to come. And number three, finally, is we respond. You can't just remember and refocus without responding. There's a response in a walk, in a journey, and we respond by living and loving through that kingdom. This is all about dependency. Where is my dependency of this world? Is it on this word? Or is, or is it what happens in the economy? Is it on my kids' future and whether they're going to be the next Drew Brees? Which they won't, but still. Is my dependency on that? Or is my dependency on the word that will never fail? It's never failed me. It's never, God has never failed me. You're going, well, it feels like I failed. Feelings aren't facts. He's never failed. He never failed Abram once. He never failed because his plan is bigger than any of our plans. And God loves us so much that he goes, I love you, but I love my plan for redeeming humanity more than you can think. So if you want to go your own way, I'm a good father. I'm going to let you go your own way. But if you want to be in my kingdom, there's a response to loving, living, and seeing through that kingdom. So watch this. When I go and vote, I'm going to see through this kingdom. Watch it. That's hard. When I spend my money, I'm going to see through this kingdom. When I look at my finances, when I look at my home, when I look at my spouse, I'm going to see through this kingdom. I'm going to put it through the lens and the filter of the kingdom that is now and yet to come because I'm going to live with a pilgrim's perspective. So the question is, which pilgrim are you wanting to be? Is it Abram or is it Lot? Is it one that is dependent on this kingdom, mastered and ruled by this world? or one that is independent of this kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom of God, that is now through Jesus and yet to come when he returns. Therefore, I will live differently in this world. I will live differently. I will make decisions differently. My kids will live differently in this world. Why do you not play soccer and sports on Sunday? Everybody's doing it. I'm not of this kingdom. I'm not of this kingdom. And if God told me to Sabbath, I'm going to Sabbath. Guess what? My kids are going to Sabbath. And if they don't get to go to birthday parties, stuff like that, guess what? They're going to be just fine. Because I'm not of this kingdom. Some of us have been making too many decisions based upon this kingdom. It's now is the time to refocus, to remember, refocus and respond to the kingdom yet to come. Would you bow your heads? Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you 
that we can live differently. I thank you that you've called us to something greater than we've ever can imagine. And Lord, though we only see in the natural, give us supernatural eyes to see what is happening in the spiritual realm, God. Because we have no idea the wars, the battles, the things that are happening when we pray, when we seek your face, when we turn to you, when we live in a different way. So God, give us courage. Give us boldness to live in this world and to love this world the way that you want us to, God. To leave a legacy that is bigger than ourselves because we want to live for the kingdom that is yet to come, the greatest kingdom. And God, though we're independent, we're not going to be isolated. We're going to keep spreading your kingdom and we're going to plant more churches than ever before, God. We're going to reach more areas that nobody wants to go to, that no one's crawling to get into, but there are your people hurting, being wanting to be welcomed into a kingdom that is secure with a gracious, wonderful, and amazing king. So God, give us courage this morning. Give us boldness to say that I don't want this world, God. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus, God. Just give me Jesus, God. In our marriages, just give me Jesus, God. In our addictions, just give me Jesus, God. For our children in this next generation, just give me Jesus, God. Thank you. As we refocus our heart, recommit our hearts this morning, God, to you. Give us eyes to see of the kingdom that is yet to come. Because we will live with the pilgrim's perspective from here on out, God. With your power, with your grace, with your love, and with your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen.